You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan, in the hill country, and in the lowland all along the coast of the Great Sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended, with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes, and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you, and where do you come from? They said to him, From a very distant country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon the king of Heshbon, and to Og king of Bashan who live in Ashtoreth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey, and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. We're in act number two, which is conquering the land. And so we've seen the charge to Joshua, the, the, and, the, and from this charge to be strong and courageous, that has had a flow on confidence for the community and for the church of God that is walking in his promises and in his purposes. Uh, we've also seen God's grace being extended to even an enemy individual in the person of Rahab, this unlikely, this uh, un- unimaginable type of person to come in into God's people, but it's an answer to his promises that his people would be a blessing to all nations. And it foreshadows to what, to our inclusion for us into God's people. We've also begun to see the punishment and judgment placed on those who sin and who disregard God and who rebel against God, both those who are not in the family and those that are in the family. Kids are thinking about that today. And today we're going to see grace and mercy extended to an entire enemy community, not just one individual, but entire enemy community. Uh, but o- hanging over this whole chapter is a really, in- is a really 
helpful teaching that I think is really important for us to lean in today because it's one that so often gets sidelined, I think, in the modern church. Today, we're going to be thinking about the topic, which is the fear of the Lord. We're going to be leaning into this idea of the fear of the Lord. And we're going to see the fear of the Lord played out in three different pictures in this story in chapter 9. We're going to see the fear of the Lord played out in the picture of those kings who oppose God. We're going to see it in the Gibeonites in their appeal to God. And we're going to see the fear of the Lord in the Israelites in their living for God. So it's the kings who oppose God, the Gibeonites appealing to God, and the Israelites living for God. And then I want us to finish with the light and the light at the light and the life and the glory of the gospel, which helps us grasp and understand even the beauty of the fear that we have today. So fear of the Lord. We'll try and introduce this concept from the top. What is the fear of the Lord? Well, it is a complex emotion, feeling, posture to communicate. I think the best way I can say is it's like a a hybrid emotion. It's one of reverence and respect. It's one of humility of God at his ability. It's it's both a a posture of wow and oh, oh no. So, but to understand the fear of the Lord well, why don't we understand first who God is? Who is God? Let's start with the Bible start. The Bible starts with these words, in the beginning, God. He is the Lord. In the beginning, God. God is before all things. God is without beginning or end. He made all things. He is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. He is king. He reigns. He is to be respected. He is to be admired. He is to be feared. By his very nature, God is fearful. God in his creation gives us even, I think, little glimpses into understanding this complex hybrid emotion of the fear of the Lord. Like, have any of you seen the ocean? The beautiful, inspirational, majestical ocean. You can appreciate its power, but if you turn your back on it, You can die. A wise person would have a healthy respect and fear of the ocean. I had that this week. Don't know if you noticed, the swell came up, probably paddled out somewhere above my depth. And uh, anyway, board got dinged and uh, I now appreciate air a whole lot more. What about fire? God made that too. Warm, comforting, hospitable, like God. Get too close get too familiar, get too confident with fire, you will burn. A wise person will have a healthy respect and fear of fire. I think these ideas, these expressions of God through his creation give us a healthy idea of what is the fear of the Lord. And if you try to sum it up in a sentence, the best I feel we can do is the fear of the Lord is having a deep respect and reverence for the Lord. It's recognizing his power and his holiness. We seek to obey his will out of love and trust. He made made all and knows what is best for all. That's what it is, broadly speaking. It can also be helpfully understood by what it isn't. What isn't the fear of the Lord? You see, I think the opposite of the fear of the Lord would be a sense of self-importance or superiority. Essentially, 
pride or arrogance, an attitude that lacks a respect and reverence for God, someone who believes that they are in control of their lives and do not need to rely on God for guidance and direction. That is not the fear of the Lord. That's how you might define it in my attempts. This is how the Bible commands it. Psalm 33, 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Our text today, Joshua 9, starts with a bunch of people that didn't. Got your Bible open, uh, verse 1. We've taken just a small snippet from the middle on the back of your handout there. Verse one, we see, we read this. As soon as the kings who are beyond the Jordan in the hill country and the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezzazites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, heard of this. What is the this? That Israel is on the move, that Joshua is executing the judgment of God and taking ground for the kingdom of God. As soon as they heard all of this, they gathered together to fight as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. We have these gathered kings. What is this picture of their fear of the Lord? Well, their action is unite and fight. Now, does that sound like the actions of someone who knows who God is? No, that is the actions. Their actions actually give away their character. We are bigger. We are better. We are stronger. There's no respect for God. There's no insight into God. There's no appreciation of God in His majesty, in His power. Their respect, their appreciation, their fear of the Lord is none. Zada, zilch. Their trust is where? It's in themselves. It's in what they can make. And they are self-deceived. They gather together and they declare with their newly found crew of confirmation, biased, like-minded community that we can overcome the plans and the promises and the power and the presence of God. Yes, we can, they say, as they gather together in opposition to God's purposes. Now, I wonder if that still happens today. Yes, it still happens today. Seemingly unrelated groups of people, they gather together to oppress, stall, and bring down the plans of God, even in our generation. It still happens today. These seemingly unrelated groups of people, nothing in common apart from this one question. Who do you hate? The Christians. So church, first thing to say, be ready. If we as a church, if we are truly faithful to simply proclaim the good news and beautiful message that Jesus is King, be ready. We too will have, I'm sure, coordinated retaliation from those who due to their blindness of the truth do not fear God. Be ready. But church also, be encouraged. 
in this list of kings, uh, one of them is the Amorites. Uh, the Amorites are famous, uh, famous for their military might and their conquering of kingdoms. Uh, stay tuned for next week. <laughs> Joshua 11 to 12, read ahead, see what happens to the Amorites. They will try to overcome God and his plans and his people and they will fail. And that should be an encouragement to us. In our day, those groups that would normally be feared, that we'd have a lot of reason to recall and step back from, they'll try and they'll try and they'll try. But hear this, God is the same yesterday, today and forever. So church, be confident. No matter what oppression comes our way, there's neither height nor depth. There's neither ruler, no authority that can separate us from the love of God. And when God has a plan, when God has a purpose, we seize it through all the way to the end. And what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So church, be confident. Whatever comes our way, keep running the race, keep fighting the good fight, abide in Christ and go into the world and bear witness to Christ. Prayerfully follow the lead of God. Cultivate in you the gifts of the Spirit that are in you to love Him and serve others and serve in the work of extending the kingdom of God. Yes, there will be kings opposed to God. There will be groups that will press against, but don't worry about them. God will deal with them. And we'll come back next week. I'd love to see you next week as we think more about what that looks like in the future. That is our first picture of the fear of the Lord, those kings that had none. We come to our second picture of the fear of the Lord. We're looking at verses 3 to 15. We have the Gibeonites, and they have an appeal to God. The Gibeonites, what's their deal? Gibeonites, they are uh, descendants actually from the Amorites. They're a close relation to them. Uh, they're obviously not God's people. Uh, and they are currently right now just uh, on the path of where they're, 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 their future does not look good. Like Joshua is coming with the rest of Israel and uh, they are just, they're going to die. They've heard of the power of this God. They've heard of these people and the spiritual army that is now quickly approaching and they know they can't win and their hearts melt. And so they devise a plan, the Gibeonites. They devise a plan which basically is somehow we need to get God's people to have, take pity on us. Their plan is somehow we need to find a way to subtly surrender and be drafted onto their team that's obviously winning. Because we can't win. I wonder how you might, uh, you know, I wonder how you might describe the the, the Gibeonite plan. Maybe it's deceptive, or maybe it's disingenuous. I feel like this is a really good word to describe their plan, their actions. Repentance. Think about their plan for a moment. Their plan is no small thing. Like it's, you read through the text, it's like, bake some bread, let it go moldy. So the mum's there baking some bread, you know, dad comes home. Oh, wow, that smells really good. It's like, don't eat that. Don't eat the bread. It needs to go moldy. What? 
Remember, you remember like the Israelites? Oh, all right, okay. It's find the old clothes, look disheveled. So they head down to Vinny's and then they're there. They're like rubbing it on the concrete and they're throwing some dirt on it. Okay, get, get, the, get the costumes ready. Get the story straight. All right, everyone. So we're here. We're all agreed. Okay, so we are coming. We're fr- we're fr- where are we from again? I forget where we're from again. We got to get the story. Where are we from again? Okay, get the story straight. And then gather the, the good amount of people. Okay, we got the people here. And then be prepared to leave everything. And do whatever Israel say. That is repentance. That is a a radical turning around of their attitude towards God. It's a radical reorientating their life. It's It's a we need to make a change right here. Now, can you imagine in the midst of all this planning, this, this radical, radical effort. Can you imagine like being a, a Gibeonite child or an onlooker, you know, at the leadership during this time as they're frantically running around planning for this stage drama before the Israelites, before they come upon them? You know, it's just like, hey, uh, what's going on, Dad? Uh, well, son, uh, there's a mighty army coming and uh, it's led by the one true God. Oh, one of the gods that we dance for, Dad. Uh, no, son, no, uh, like the one true God. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, yes, um, uh, we've realised that we don't really fit in like, like we should. Uh, we're not really on his team. So uh, we're all going to ask if we can be friends. Oh, does this one true God like mouldy bread, Dad? Uh, no, son, um, but uh, just go ask your mother. The Gibeonites are responding to their knowing the power and majesty of God. Their movement is from a healthy appreciation and reverential respect and fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is in these Gibeonites and their lives are turned around to a posture of a humble plea for mercy. They clearly long for the chance that God would be kind and respond to their repentance. And it's here in this section of Joshua 9 that we find an overlooked aspect of bearing witness to the character of God. In our evangelism, in our testifying to the truth, in our speaking about God, that we should be communicating all of who he is. John 3:16, absolutely, yes, the love of God. The people of this world need to know God's promised peace. But also they need to know and hear of God's magnificent power. Because right now what is saving the Gibeonites? They have heard of the power and the judgment of the Lord and the fear of the Lord was in them. Now, this is significant for us to hear. Some of us need to remember that the great commission, go therefore and make disciples. It's not just a a declaration of the love of God. Evangelism is not just God is love. That's not how God goes about it. Anyone read one of the prophets recently in the Old Testament? It's also not how Jesus goes about it. Anyone read the first three chapters of Revelation recently when he speaks to his church? Yes, God is love. 
Yes. And this is glorious. This is life-giving. This frees us from guilt and shame for our sin and our disorders, disordered desires. But we mustn't leave out that God is also powerful, strong, a consuming fire. I think the modern evang- I think the modern Western church has lost huge evangelistic opportunity when we simply reduce God down to a lovely, tolerant teddy bear. God's love alone will not be enough to draw all people to Jesus for salvation. People only will fully grasp the majesty of Jesus saving them when they realize what they've been saved from. The Bible says in Romans 5, God shows us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God? John 3:36 Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Yes. God is the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That is love and judgment together, the full character of God. And I think about this practically for a moment. Talk to the guys for a moment. How compelling and how inspired are you to live for Jesus and tell your mates about Jesus if the only picture you have of Jesus in your mind is the one of the clean right robe, the because you're worth it hair and the ambivalent facial expression of, did I lock the car before I went into the supermarket? Like, man, are you reading your Bibles? Do you know the picture of Jesus from the book of Revelation? Jesus is the commander of the army of the Lord, a mighty man of war, a robe dipped in blood, battle armor on, a crown on his head, fire in his eyes, a sword in his hand, on a horse. That's compelling. That's a Jesus that I want to follow, that I can submit to, that gives me strength and courage and just not only for the dudes ladies who would you rather protect you just had his highlights done jesus or just been treading the wine press of the fury of god jesus i know who i'd rather have on my team when it comes to fighting sin satan and death Church, the world needs to know of the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable are his ways. Don't let the people in your lives remain ignorant to God's magnificence. 
Don't let Jesus remain a a non-intimidating option on the self of religion next to the bald fat guy and then the cross-legged arms guy and then the skinny mustache glasses guy. He is so much more than that. So much more than that. Don't rob the world or rob yourself by putting a limit on what should be a growing appreciation in the fullness of his glory and his good and powerful character. The Gibeonites weren't robbed of it. They heard. They realised. They feared. And they did something about it. They took action. Their fear of the Lord meant actively moving toward God rather than living their life for whenever he may surprise them when he would one day make claim on their lives. The Gibeonites' reaction is what the Old Testament, what the, what the, in the, the, the Old Testament then go on to say, Proverbs 14, the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Or in Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord led these Gibeonites back to God. A wise choice. A life-giving choice. And because we know the full character of God, in their movement towards God, they are met with mercy. And it's beautiful. God's representative leader made with them a covenant, a promise, says Joshua. And he says that when God's judgment on sin comes near to them and it will, God will sweep past them and he will not consume them in his power and his might, but they, he promised that they will be safe. It's a promise which again echoes a promise like Passover. It's a promise that again echoes a promise like the scarlet cord. It's a promise that then gets fulfilled in a big, bigger and greater way like our Jesus. Do you know that today? Do you know that God's new and better Joshua, Jesus, his representative leader, he makes a promise and that there is now a new promise, a new covenant in his blood He says to the whole world that all who turn back to him and draw near to God for mercy and new life, that they will be saved. 1 John 4, in this this is love, in the love of God is made manifest among us. It's made manifest among us. The love of God is made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And today, if you fear the judgment of God on your life and you know that you've never sought out the mercy or forgiveness of God before, if you've never done that, I've got good news for you. I've got the best news for you. Firstly, you don't have to do do anything deceptively. You don't have to go down to Vinnie's and get some old clothes. You don't have to go and find your old sourdough bread that you forgot to pull out of the pantry when you did that fat in COVID. No moldy bread. God already knows your desperate need. God already knows everything about you. And he says, simply look to Jesus. 
Look to King Jesus and ask Him for a fresh start. Ask Him that you too might be included into the plans of God. Ask Him that you might be able to walk in newness of life with His people and know new life. Today for you can be the day of salvation. God has been patient towards you, not wishing that you should perish, but that you should reach repentance. Go to him today if you have not gone before. Let the fear of the Lord drive you toward the Lord and then experience his love and his mercy and his grace. That's the second picture of the fear of the Lord that we see with the Gibeonites. Now, I wonder what you think of their way in going about it. I wonder if you think of how, you know, it is a little bit dishonest. Is that really how it's going to work? You know, I'm starting to see a pattern now here, God. You know, Rahab was dishonest. She got in. Gibeonites were dishonest. They got in. Is this, is this how this works? All the congregation of Israel noticed. They like get to give in. It's just like, hey, time to take these guys. And it's just like, no, we made a promise. <clears throat> Some ways I can see us reading this in our gospel communities and raising a few eyebrows. And I would say, yes, the journey of the Gibeonites into the family of God was a little unconventional. Unconventional. You could say that it was tainted with a little bit of self-motivated movement, wasn't it? But like honesty moment here. Isn't everyone's first motives for action in turning to, turning to God just, aren't they all a little bit different? Aren't they all a little bit self-motivated? Think of someone like Rahab. Think of the Gibeonites, maybe even for you. Maybe it started with sensing the impending judgment of God and being like, I don't want that. That's okay. For, for others, Joining into the family of God is also a little bit unconventional. Maybe it's like Peter, James, or John. Maybe you have found yourself here because of a desire to lean into the compelling words of Jesus. Or for others, maybe it looked different again. I know that there's some here that that they are now because of the family in the family of God, because they started going to church because of the attractive man or woman that they wanted to spend more time with. That's a bit of an unconventional way to make yourself into the family of God. Or maybe it was just coming to church just to make friends. Those guys are nice. Or maybe it was just, not just, maybe you actually had a miraculous encounter with God in a dream. Or you heard a voice. Or you're compelled or drawn. If anything, if we read anything into the unconventional, unconventional approach of the Gibeonites, I think we should remember that it's not, it's not how someone enters into the people of God. It's, the key is not how you at first find yourself hanging out in the family. It's not how you find yourself there. The key of being in the family is how your life is shaped after realizing you've now been empowered by God's love, mercy, and new identity. It's not about how you get in. That's God's job. 
He'll use whatever means that he has available to him to stir our hearts and get our feet to move towards his people. And we were like, people come like, great. We are so glad you are here. Now let me tell you something really good. Sure, you got a girlfriend. Let me tell you about Jesus. Sure, you're gonna, you know, let me tell you about Jesus. It's not about how you start. It's about how you keep walking. This should give us a great grace for everyone who comes in through the gate, for anyone that enters into our lives. How has God, what is, God, what is God's purpose for me in welcoming this people, welcoming this person into God's community? And it's also a reminder to us that we don't place a high capital on whatever, whatever, the, whatever type of experience or entry exam we pass to get in. We don't keep looking back to that one thing that we once did, but we look to what we are doing right now in our pursuit of Jesus, in our pursuit of God and making sure that we are keeping ourselves in the love of God. As Jude writes, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Or when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life. And we know the Gibeonites, they, they did this. The Gibeonites come up again later on in the following chapters. And even more so, the Gibeonites come up again later in the Old Testament, chronologically, last moment in Nehemiah. There are Gibeonites there helping rebuild the walls of the second temple. This is like pre-first temple, but they're still there. They continued on. How are you going in continuing on? Would you say that your life is defined by a faithful following of the new and better Joshua, Jesus? Are you seeking to know and observe his promises in the new and better life that you've been welcomed into? Are you serving God? Are you serving the family of God? Are you committed to the family of God? It was an unconventional entry, but they persevered. And there's a lot that we can learn from the Gibeonites. But we go to our last picture of the fear of the Lord, our third picture, and this is the Israelites living well from the fear of God. Now, does this passage give us some direction in how we can live well for God, in how we are serving God? Yes, yes, it does. By living with the fear of the Lord. Verses 18 to 20. The people of Israel did not attack them. That's the Gibeonites. Because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, that all the congregation murmured against its leaders. But all the leaders said to the, all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now that we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live. Lest wrath be on us because of the oath that we swore to them. Joshua 9 teaches us that the fear of the Lord is not just for our initial repentance, but our ongoing growth in holiness. What was it that motivated Joshua to keep his promises to the Gibeonites even after they realized they'd been misled? What was it? The fear of the Lord. <laughs> they say, we made a promise, so we got to keep it. 
Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath we swore to them. Like this is encouraging to see this in God's people. Like this is evidence of their growth. Like look at what they are doing. They are remembering God's command to them, remembering and applying commandment number nine. You know, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. They're remembering what happens to those that don't obey God's commands. And the people of God, they have a respect for God. They want to honor God. They desire to please God. They are responding to the love of God. And they model to us how the fear of the Lord is not just about turning to God on the first day, but it's good for training us in righteousness for every day. It's just as Paul then later on picks up in Philippians chapter 2, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And this is also the way of Jesus. Jesus, who the prophet Isaiah said, his delight, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Which reminds us again of the hybrid emotion that this fear of the Lord is. It's obedience, obedience from both consequence and indebtedness. It's a lifestyle from both admiration and an attitude. It's an actions that are from both respect and from reverence. Godly fear can steer us into the blessings and benefits of God's wisdom and power for our lives. Psalm 112, blessed are those who fear the Lord. Blessed, blessed, however way you read that, are those who fear the Lord who find great delight in his commands, delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Psalm 37, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Church, let's not take this lightly. For us to continue to walk in the presence and in the purposes and in the promises of God, we need to lean in into the, into the fullness of the person of God. We need to let the fear of the Lord instruct and guide our lives together. But there's danger for us if we don't. So today we've seen that the right fear of the Lord can draw people to God and it can help us to be disciplined for God. But despite how much this text might highlight much of the value of the fear of the Lord for life, we still have one important question to ask that holds all of these things together. So as we close, let us ask, what difference does the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ make? to the fear of the Lord. Well, as we scuttle back to the cross, we remember that the fear of the Lord is so much different to what the Israelites and the Gibeonites would have known. Because what happens at the cross? 
God's wrath is poured out on Jesus in our place. The Gibeonites made their appeal to Israel because they feared God's wrath. The Israelites would have lived in a way of, of wanting to keep themselves in the love of God because they, they had promises, but they were still looking for the guarantee of like, but we could still screw this up. But what happens when we look to the cross? We get to hear Jesus' words, it is finished. The penalty for sin has been dealt with. Wrath has been taken care of. So there's no longer any fear for the penalty of the judgment of God to come. That's it's done. Think of like fear of the Lord. That can be like FOMO, you know, fear of missing out of heaven. If you don't trust in Jesus, there still is fear, but it's no longer how our actions will lead to destruction from God. Hear that. It's no longer a fear of how our actions will lead to our destruction from God. If you've submitted your life to Christ, if you've made your appeal to Christ, if you've come to Him and asked for forgiveness, the wrath is taken care of. The penalty for sin is taken care of. You do not have to fear the wrath of God. It's gone. It's done. It's dealt with. Do not fear the wrath of God. It will not come down upon you. It has come down upon Jesus. He has swapped and traded places with you. You do not need to fear the destruction of God. It's good news. It's liberating. It's life-giving. It means we live with a new identity. It means we live with new confidence. So we do not fear the wrath of God. We do not fear His destruction, but we can still fear what we can do, which what that will create distance. That's where our fear needs to lie. It's no longer of how our, fear, how our actions will lead to a destruction from God. It's fearing how our actions will lead our distance away from God because in His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Being welcomed in to the family of God, receiving the Holy Spirit and being able to cry out, Abba, Father, Beautiful, glorious, life-giving. It makes your heart sing. There is a glory that is inexpressible. There is a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And so we look to God's Word and we're like, how do we live to stay in your love? How do I work out my salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that you are at work in me for your good pleasure? How do we do that? I don't want to get in between of that. Dallas Willard writes, the fear of the Lord can turn us away from the things that hinder our fellowship with Him. And it will help us embrace the things that draw us closer to Him. All of us want to have a good experience of life. I think we can all put our hand up and be like, yeah, I genuinely want life to go well. Yeah. Does anyone not? Sorry, does anyone, anyone, anyone want to have a terrible life? Let's just make sure. Let's just scan the room. No? Okay, good. God sends his one and only son to call you into newness of life, the fulfilled life, the abundant life, the way, the truth of life. 
God who created all things, who knows best, who knows you. He says, come and join into my family as a free gift. Yes, amen. Even the dogs get the crumbs under the table. So we do not fear the wrath of God. But we still fear what we can do that separates us from his presence. So church, let me plead with you. Draw near to God this day and he will draw near to you. Open up your Bibles this week and look and see and go, God, how are we to be walking so that we might know your presence, so that we might experience your promises and your power? And let the fear of the Lord help you take steps towards him. This good and wonderful gift, this weird hybrid emotion of awe and reverence and honour and respect. And let us not forget to let the world know that God is a God who is not only very good, but very powerful. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.